You're listening to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, the Dermatology Residence Podcast. Welcome back to Cutaneous Miscellaneous, and welcome to Season 3. Hope everyone had a happy new year. And I've been seeing a lot of hair loss in clinic recently, and one of my patients came in and told me, Doctor, doctor, my hair keeps falling out. Can you give me anything to keep it in? And I said, yes, here's a paper bag. And she looked at me, and she wasn't too happy, so... I thought, you know what, I need some help on hair diseases, treatment, border view facts, uh, things along those lines. And we have a great guest today. Help us with that, Dr. Hannah Kulpeman. She's a uh, fellowship trained in hair loss diseases. So Hannah, welcome and how are you? It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. And you know, when you said the paper bag thing, it actually is very, very validated and true. I can tell you the experience I had um, when I was a clinical research fellowship. I did a pre-residency fellowship, actually two. One was at BU in cutaneous oncology, but I ended up um, spending some time in the hair clinic, actually a lot of time, and that's where my interest in hair started. And then I went on and did another clinical research fellowship prior to residency, which I'll be starting um, this coming July. And I learned so much about hair, but the reason I talk about the paper bag is I'll never forget. There was a patient that walked in. She couldn't get an appointment and she came to the front desk and she says, I really need to see the doctor. And her, she had a brown paper bag filled with hair that had fallen out. And she, once we, you know, we saw that we took her right into the clinic. We gave her an appointment and we could talk more about what she had today, but that is a very true statement, what you said today. Awesome. I love that story, the brown paper bag sign. If somebody comes in with a brown paper bag, you know they're going to be a hair loss patient. So uh, <laughs> Dr. Coltman or Hannah, she's involved in many, many things uh, in dermatology and social media. She has a podcast herself called The Derm Club, and I know she has a lot of fans. So if you are a fan of Derm Club and Cutaneous Miscellaneous, this episode is going to be a real treat for you. So Hannah, let's jump in. Let's get started. I need some help. Our resident colleagues need some help uh, on different hair disorders. Because honestly, when a patient comes in and talk, starts to talk about hair loss, I kind of run for the door, but hope this episode will make me more comfortable on counseling, on uh, clinical tips, and also uh, board exam facts too, which we all need to pass uh, and be comfortable with that. So let's start off with androgenetic alopecia or pattern alopecia, or for lack of a better word, I, I tell patients this old age hair loss, and they, they look at me like they're not too happy with what I said. So can you talk to me about this and then tell me, uh, again, treatment pearls, board review facts, counseling, what can you uh, help, help me out with this? Sure. So androgenetic alopecia is also known as non-cicatricial alopecia. And non-cicatricial means it's non-scarring. So that's what I always tell my patients that come in with this, that there's hope because this is a non-scarring hair loss, which means we can actually help you and get your hair back. Um, it's 80% in men and 50% in women by age 70. So it's very, very common. And as soon as you hit puberty, it start, your percentage of getting androgenetic alopecia starts to increase. So I see it a ton in my own friends who are in their you know, high 20s to mid 30s. It's very, very prevalent. Right. And people come in and they don't really know what androgenetic alopecia means or what's going to happen to them. And I just say, well, imagine a guy in their 70s or 80s and you're going to see they're going to have no hair on the top and just a little bit of hair in the back. Then, then, then they get the idea. Um, so what about diagnosis? I know this is a relatively easy thing to diagnose because we start to see hair thinning. Uh, obviously, male and female have different patterns, but is there any physical exam uh, pearls or trichoscopy pearls or anything like that that could help us with the diagnosis if we're a little bit unsure about what's going on? 
Yes. So I just do want to mention that a lot of people say, what's causing this? Is it something I'm eating? Is it something I'm doing wrong? Is it my shampoo? And I always tell them that like many things in dermatology, usually the cause for androgenetic alopecia is genetic. It's if you're, you want to do a very thorough um, exam in the room. So it, there's a systematic approach to a hair loss patient. You want to take a very thorough history. You want to do a clinical exam. And sometimes you may need to do a lab exam and a lab workup as well as a scalp biopsy. But today we have trichoscopy using the dermatoscope. So that has eliminated doing a lot of scalp biopsies, which is great and very important for all the future residents and current residents out there. Trichoscopy is your best friend if you don't want to do a scalp biopsy on a patient. Um, So a few things I look for. In men, you want to typically look at the frontal scalp. That is where men will typically have their first sign of hair loss. So they may get some bitemporal hair um, recession, and then it will start to go back towards the uh, vertex of their scalp. In women, it actually is not the frontal scalp where you look. It's the parietal scalp, so the vertex. And I always tell people, um, if they're women, make your. Let me see. Do you do a part down the middle, and you will start to see your um, part kind of widening. And I say, look for the Christmas tree distribution. That is like one thing that I always remember and always tell people. And you'll start to see that your scalp part is widening as you go back towards the back of your head. Um, So those are two things I tend to look for. Now, in men, you use the Norwood uh, Hamilton classification system. And um, you can see what's where they lay on this, where men are on the scale. And you can look at the frontal crown as well as the vertex. And in women, we use the Ludwig scale. Um, So as I said, in women, the frontal hairline is typically preserved and the you'll start to see thinning of the vertex. Um, on histology, you'll see increase in vellus hairs, which are those fine baby-like hairs that are usually depigmented. So they'll be like fine little white hairs. I actually have a few because I myself am using topical minoxidil, also known as Rogaine, and I'm starting to get some like, you know, nice peach fuzz on the top of my scalp. Um, so you're also going to see miniaturized hairs, which are fine, thin hairs. And that is a sign that you are having thinning of your hair follicle. Um, So these are fine, short, and as I said, non or lightly pigmented hairs. Um, Those are a few pearls that I would look for if you have androgenetic alopecia. In terms of trichoscopy, um, you are going to see a asynchronization, or I should say a variability in these hair follicles. So, and I'll give you a comparison. So you're going to see, you know, some hairs that look normal and they're thick and some hairs are going to look finer. Whereas in say, telogen effluvium, they're all going to be synchronized. They're, they're not, they're all going to be in that same stage of, um, of hair growth. So that is kind of something to look for, to compare, to tell you what kind of hair loss they have. Awesome. And I want to jump into treatment because everyone wants to know about treatment. Before that, I just got to mention the pathogenesis. As you said, it's a strong genetic predisposition 
It's called androgenic alopecia. Uh, and men, you know, an increase in DHT expression plays a role. So 5-alpha reductase is the enzyme you're going to want to know. This catalyzes the conversion of testosterone to DHT. And there's type 1, 5-alpha reductase. This is in the skin, hair follicles, and sebaceous glands. And type 2 uh, is mainly in the prostate. Uh, so that's important because that's going to uh, have to do with our treatment. So can you give me a couple thoughts on treatments for AGA uh, and what you tell patients um, about this and what they should be doing uh, with the treatments? Yeah. So just like you said, one of the reasons we're getting this hair loss, besides that we know that there's a genetic proponent to it, is that our hair follicles are sensitive to a androgen hormone known as DHT, dihydrotestosterone. So as I, as Nick just shared with us, those treatments are going to be focused at blocking dihydrotestosterone and other androgens. So I always tell uh, patients who come in with hair loss, especially the ones that are young, I don't want to overwhelm them. And I say a great place to start is with topical treatment. Start with 5% Rogaine or 5% Minoxidil. So I personally, it comes in foam and liquid. The liquid, I want to say, is more irritating because it has propylene glycol in it. And so I always prefer suggesting the foam to patients. Um, and I want to say that 5% is great for both men and women. There's, you know, minoxidil is marketed as 2% to women, but it's very safe for both men and women to use the 5% and you can use it one to two times a day. Obviously using it twice a day, once in the morning and once at e in the evening is going to be the most effective and the side effects are minimal. You may get some irritation, some itchiness, but most people can tolerate it without it having any problems. Now, if you want more than the topical treatment is going to give you, and I do want to mention you have to be patient hair loss and hair, getting your hair back is all about patience. So I always tell people, give it at least 12 weeks until you start to really see a difference. Um, and for the clinician, one thing that's really important is photographs, photo documentation, because I always take pictures when patients come in in the beginning and then as they progress, because it's very hard for someone to really notice how much their hair has progressed over time. And when they come back in three months, you could say, wow, you know, it looks like it's working or it's not working. We need to add on to your treatment. So if the topical minoxidil is not doing the trick, for men, I usually would start with a finasteride one milligram oral. Um, and this is a type 2 5-alpha reductase inhibitor. So again, it's going to block that conversion and stop that sensitization to those androgens on your hair follicles. Um, the, the finasteride is only improved in males and um, it does have some, you know, side effects for pregnant women. So if you're pregnant, you cannot be on finasteride or dutasteride. Now, if finasteride is not doing the trick for you, I do want to mention also there are side effects of finasteride. Some people get them, some people don't, just like any medication. And the most common side effects are sexual um, sexual side effects. So loss of impotence, um, decreased sexual drive, or um, um, loss of erectile dysfunction. So if finasteride is still not getting you the results you want and you feel like you could you know, get more and you want to really go all in, there's a great medication out there that I am a big proponent of called dutasteride. And the dosage is 0.5 milligrams. And 
this works actually better. It's more efficacious than finasteride because it's blocking not only type 1 uh, 5-alpha reductase, but it's also blocking type 1 and 2 5-alpha reductase. So it, it's getting that dual action, that double whammy. Um, however, with dutasteride, although it is more effective, there is a higher likelihood that you can have side effects. And those are, again, most likely the sexual side effects. So if you're having those sexual side effects on finasteride, then you're probably not going to want to go towards the dutasteride. Um, so those are just some of the options for men. And then also for women, I really like minoxidil. Um, it's a great, great option. Um, I, I've seen great results with minoxidil. And I think there's a synergistic um, effect of using the topical treatment, the topical minoxidil, which is also known as Rogaine, as well as the oral minoxidil. Just wanted to clarify that's oral. Again, if you have blood pressure met, um, issues, then you're going to want to check your blood pressure. We give it at a very low dose, usually at 2.5 milligrams. It can also be dosed a little higher, but we start lower because we want to make sure you're not going to have any hypotension and that you won't get any swelling in your legs. And you have to be more cognizant of this if you have someone who has um, heart disease. Awesome. You know, as we're talking, I'm looking in the mirror, making sure I have no AGA, but if I develop it, I'll know who to call. Uh, but you're right about the treatments. I really echo everything that you said. Um, Rogaine or minoxidil and finasteride are really the only FDA-approved treatments uh, for AGA. And I tell patients with Rogaine or minoxidil, you know, you got to be patient, like you said. Give this time. And it's like fertilizer. You got to use it every day. If you don't fertilize your grass, your grass won't, won't grow. And I would put everyone on a finasteride if I can. But when in the real world, when the young men come in and they start to get mild AGA, and you, you have to tell them, you know, the textbook says we see these sexual side effects in that 1% of patients. Um, a lot of them are like, oh, it's not, not that bad. So I like what you said. Start with topical Rogaine. And then when they come in and start to get a little bit worse, then they're going to say, I, I need the pill now. So that was awesome. Let's move on to telogen effluvium, a very frustrating disease for all of us to treat. Uh, a lot of patients come in, my hair is shedding. Am I going to go bald? What's going on? And a lot of times you say it's idiopathic. They're very mad at you. So when the telogen effluvium patient walks in the room, you can already kind of tell they're kind of tugging at their hair and they have this very worried look in their face. Uh, what physical exam uh, things could you do in the room to help the diagnosis of telogen effluvium? So a few things is I always recommend doing the hair pull test. If you take um, about like 60 hairs and you're getting at least over six hairs out from those hairs you pull. Actually, it's six out of 40, correct me? Six out of 40, okay. Six out of four. If you get greater than four to six hairs when you pull your hair, when you're pulling about 40 hairs, then you're a, it's a positive hair pull test, and that is a positive test for telogen effluvium. And if you ask the patient, and they say, you know, I have a lot of shedding, I'm seeing so much hair in my brush, in the shower drain, and you have to say, you know, it's normal for your hair to fall out. You can you lose about 100 to 150 a day. But if you notice you're losing over 150 a day, then it's concerning. And I always ask, did you have a recent surgery? Did you have a recent illness? Did you get a recent vaccine? Did you have a recent traumatic event that was really stressful? And usually that is a cue and a clue to tell you that they um, are likely having telogen effluvium. Right. There's a lot of cause of telogen effluvium. I have a list in my phone because I can't remember them all, but there's thyroid abnormalities, iron deficiencies. I've seen it commonly postpartum, post-pregnancy. There's a bunch of drugs, according to the textbook, 
OCPs, retinoids, anticoagulants, antithyroid, anticonvulsants, interferon alpha, even heavy metals and beta blockers, obviously severe stress, which everyone's under stress these days, but severe stress is a trigger for telogenofluvium. Uh, recent hospitalization, recent surgeries, recent fevers, recent illnesses, and also crash diets or a change in nutrition are all, all triggered for telogenofluvium. But of course, it's in some cases uh, idiopathic and become become chronic and that's when I think the patients um, you know, get the most upset. But uh, yeah, the hair pull test, I didn't really know how to perform it, but really helpful what you said there. Over four, about four to six uh, hairs with, with, with 40. Um, and you made a great point too. You got to tell the patient it's normal to lose about 100 to 200 hairs per day. And a lot of them patients will say, well, how do I know how many hairs I'm losing? I'm coming out in clumps. It's, of course, it's an estimate, but you got to let those patients know because in a lot of times it's just more, um, more physiologic. So do you offer them any treatment or how do you counsel them on what this is and, and what's going to happen their, to their hair in the future? That's what they care about the most, obviously. So reassurance and really showing that you can be empathetic and understand what they're going through because it's distressing. And this goes back to the brown paper bag patient who had just recently gotten a vaccine about two months or three months prior, and she came in with all this hair filled up in the brown paper bag. Tell them that this is temporary. It's going to usually subside within six to 12 months after whatever stressful event they went through. And a few options they have is, as I said, they could use the topical minoxidil, but I also suggest always that they could um, take a multivitamin or um, a, a vitamin specially made for hair patients. And this is usually helpful in case they have any of those deficiencies you mentioned earlier. Awesome. So do you routinely check labs or is it a case-by-case basis or have you ever found lab abnormalities that made a difference in these patients? Um, very, I used to check, I, when I first started in my clinical research fellowship, we were doing a lot more labs and towards the end, we were starting to do fewer and fewer because not everyone requires it because you were able to use your clinical exam to figure it out. But if I'm going to do labs, a few of them include a CBC, um, serum iron, ferritin, T3, T4 to make sure their thyroid's okay. Also a TSP. H, and then you can also check their androgen levels. Um, and, and if you feel that they're, if they, if you thought maybe at first that they had telogen effluvium, but you have them come back um, at their next visit and you don't see an improvement at that point, either you could suggest having lab work or they may ask you, actually they ask the clinician, could you do labs on me? Because they want to know that everything's okay with them. Right. That makes sense. And on histology, this is a pretty obvious uh, histological pattern. You're just going to see many telogen hairs and it's going to have this flamethrower-like appearance um, in, in the hair bulb. So that's a pretty easy uh, diagnosed on derm path. That was awesome. That helped me out a lot. I'm sure it helped everyone listening, uh, dealing with this difficult problem. So let's move on to the next diagnosis, alopecia areata, which is a, a disease where we used to have no therapies and now we have multiple therapies. Um, and this is something I see really all day long too. I see it multiple times per clinic. Um, this is a loss of immune privilege, it's thought, where the autoreactive uh, cytotoxic CD8 T cells target the hair follicle antigens and uh, cause a death. Um, and some patients have a family history. So we have alopecia areata. We have totalis, complete scalp loss, universalis, which is complete scalp and body hair loss. Then there's the ophiasis pattern and the sisypho pattern. Ophiasis is, is of course, the band-like loss across occipital and temporal scalp. Sisypho is the opposite. And 
just a, um, a note that I've seen a lot in clinic, people are coming in diagnosed with ophiasis pattern AA, and it's just distraction. So keep that in mind too. Uh, so what can you tell me about alopecia areata, diagnosis, treatment, portals, board review, facts, what, what's best to know about this disease? So alopecia areata, I always look for those round patches of non-scaring hair loss. Usually they're in those like discoid shape. Um, and alopecia totalis is usually when you lose complete hair, scalp hair. And then there's also alopecia universalis where they have um, hair loss of not only their scalp, but also their body. So their eyebrows, their arms and leg hair is also gone. Um, you know, typically on dermoscopy, you could see short exclamation point hairs and perifollicular yellow dots, which are usually the yellow dots actually um, are significant for um, sebaceous or keratinocytes. Um, so those are two things you could look for. You could also look for tapered dots as well as black dots. Um, you may also see constrictions in your hair. Um, and you want to tell pe people that very often their hair is going to come back. Um, and however, this is associated with usually an autoimmune disease. So if they have atopy, whether it's atopic dermatitis, that's usually a poor prognostic factor. Um, they may also have autoimmune thyroid disease or vitiligo, um, irritable bowel disease. So those are a few things. On histology, and this I find this so helpful, and I don't think I'll ever forget it. When you look on histology, look for a swarm of bees. And those are the um, peribulbar lymphocytic cell infant infiltrates. And it literally looks like thousands of bees swarming around. So um, I think that's a really helpful um, board, uh, board um, review point, because if you get asked a question on histology, you'll, you'll think, look for those swarm of bees. Um, and then in terms of treatments, there are great options out there, which we can get to, but I always start off with either topical or intralesional corticosteroids, topical minoxidil, um, usually 5%. Um, and then you also have topical aller allergens, which actually cause an irritation to the scalp. So something like a squaric acid or a DNCP or DPCP. Um, there's also systemic corticosteroids. Most recently, something came out um, called ritalcitinib, also known as litfilo, and it's for severe alopecia areata. And that we have seen great results with this. Right. Now, one more question about uh, the internal manifestations, because as a dermatologist, we can diagnose the skin and hair, but what really makes dermatology special and cool is uh, diagnosing someone with an internal manifestation of, of a skin disease. So do you send these patients to the PCP or do you check their thyroid labs in the clinic? Uh, how do you handle that? How, how should I handle that? So typically I look to see how many of those circular patches of hair loss I have. If it's one small patch, then usually I don't do any further workup. Yes, I'll ask them uh, just like you would a clinical history and a, and a medical history to see if they have any auto, other autoimmune diseases. Um, but I wouldn't immediately add any lab work on or send them back to their PCP. If they, if I see a more progressive disease that's more concerning, then yes, I would likely send them back to their primary care physician or in the office, I would do a further workup to see if they have any autoimmune conditions. Right. And most patients that come in, even if it's just one little small area of AA, I'll usually check their thyroid and it's 
been coming back normal every time. So I uh, don't know if I'll keep doing that. But I think just, hey, go to your PCP, not an emergency. Next time you see them, just get a general health workup and just make sure they focus on the thyroid. And you're right, before with the therapies now, um, we have two new uh, JAK inhibitors. Before we had really no uh, FDA-approved therapies. Um, we have baricitinib, a JAK1 and 2 inhibitor. And a fun fact, this is also FDA-approved for, for inpatient COVID. So if someone has AA and COVID, you can uh, kill two birds with one stone. It's two milligrams daily. You can increase to four uh, if there's not an adequate treatment response. And uh, the package insert does say if the patient has severe alopecia or alopecia involving the eyelash or eyebrows, you can go ahead and start uh, with four milligrams um, right away, which is great. So we have a lot of lab monitoring uh, with both baricitinib and the other one, ritlicitinib, which I'll touch on in a moment. But um, again, this is more uh, art than a science, but I think it's standard practice to check TB, check hepatit- hepatitis, uh, make sure a patient's not pregnant, has HIV, uh, no recent li- uh, getting any new live vaccines. And then we ch- want to check a CBC, CMP, and lipids. And then next is rit- ritlicitinib. This is a JAK3 and tech kinase inhibitor. So we're moving beyond JAK inhibition and now we're inhibiting tech kinase. And again, this is severe alopecia. This is for patients 12 years and older, um, which is great for now we have a pediatric option. Uh, this is 50 milligrams daily. And um, the package insert does say that the efficacy and safety is similar between adolescents and adults, which is really, really great to hear. So it's been really fun treating this disease now because we have options for patients. And it does take a lot of counseling with the black box warning, but you have to just tell them uh, what the origin of that is. And it's not really going to be affecting them and they'll be much more um, likely to take the treatment. So uh, this is a great disease uh, to treat and patients do get better, uh, which is why I, I enjoy treating this. So that was a great review of some non-scarring alopecias, but let's just move into some scarring alopecias um, before we run out of time here. And the one that I see a lot, uh, well, I, I see two pretty common ones, a CCCA and a lichen planopilaris or FFA. So let's start with LPP, FFA. Um, what can you tell me about this? What's it, what's important for us? So lichen planopilaris, this is a scarring alopecia. So also known as cicatricial alopecia. And we're starting to see a lot of this particularly FFA, which stands for frontal fibrosing alopecia, very common in women. And it was thought to be only a postmenopausal hair loss, but now we're starting to see it in premenopausal women. And I always look for that band of hair loss in the frontal scalp. And you'll start to also, in many women, start to see thinning of their lateral lateral eyebrows. So those are two um, giveaways for people with FFA. We're not totally sure what the cause is. We, we, the, they think that there's some research to show maybe the use of some sunscreens have played a role in um, causing it, the chemical sunscreens. So it's still not totally clear, but this is a scarring alopecia. Um, but again, we do have some treatment options for FFA and LPP. Awesome. And I, I think for the boards, it's important to know about Graham-Little syndrome. This is associated with LPP. This is going to be a scarring hair loss on the scalp, and you're going to get non-scarring hair loss of the axilla and the pubic areas, and you might see some keratosis pilaris, like a spines follicular papules on the trunk. But yep, that's true what you said. You're going to kind of see this regressing hairline, the frontal hairline loss or thinning of the eyebrows and maybe some perifollicular erythema scaling and scarring. So this is kind of a pretty obvious diagnosis if you know what you're looking for. And if you look closely, 
you know, don't just pop in the room and look at some thinning hair and call it AGA. You always have to look closely in dermatology. It's always very important, even if it's just for a second, just to make sure you're not missing anything else. And on histology, we're going to see a like node interface derm of the follicular epithelium at the level of the infundibulum. Um, and you're going to see, again, some perifollicular fibrosis. This is a scarring alopecia. And unfortunately, nothing that I've prescribed, I, I think, has worked well. But can you just give me some thoughts on uh, some treatments? I know most people will start with hydroxychloroquine. Uh, is that what you use or what else uh, could or would you try? Um, you could also you could try hydroxychloroquine. Um, also try some uh, steroids, topical steroids, as well as um, oral steroids, depending on how progressive their disease is. Um, you may also want to try some um, finasteride or dutasteride in this uh, case. Um, and I do want to mention that the reason we typically are using the steroids is because a lot of people are complaining about itching and burning. So to help with that inflammation, we may really need to incorporate the steroids here. Yeah, that's a great point. We can't really cure this disease, but if patients are symptomatic, right, we want to treat their symptoms. So sometimes we think, oh, what can I give them to make this go away? Well, no, think about, hey, what can I give them to at least help them with their symptoms right now and calm this down for them. That's very important too. So that was awesome. Really appreciate that. Next, let's just touch on CCCA, central centrifugal cicatricial alopecia. All the patients that come in with this, I have to spell out what each C means and what the A means. And this is very common uh, in patients of African descent, mostly in females. Um, it's associated with the use of chemical relaxers, hot combs, traumatic hairstyles, pomades, but really not even sure uh, what, what the cause of it is. It's known that a PADI3 mutation is seen in some patients. And as the name implies, as you know, you're going to start to see some uh, scarring alopecia starting on the vertex of the scalp and kind of spreading uh, centrifugally. Uh, and on histology, this may come up on the boards. You're going to see a premature desquamation of the inner root sheath, concentric lamellar fibroplasia, eccentric thinning of the outer root sheath. And, you know, not great treatments for this. This is more counseling, reassurance type thing. You want to stop the uh, traumatic hair care practices. And like you were saying before, Hannah, treat their symptoms. So if they have itching, pain, and tenderness, you could use tetracyclines. You can use topical steroids or, or uh, interlesional steroid injections and perhaps some minoxidil as well to get some hair regrowth. Although you have to, again, counsel them uh, that, you know, this is not going to be a home run treatment and all their hair is not going to grow back. So, any thoughts on CCCA? Um, I just want to mention with trichoscopy, usually with um, CCCA, CCCA, we'll see um, peripylar gray and white halos. Um, and that's very specific to CCCA. And I also call this like a honeycomb pigmented network, which you'll really, will be pretty obvious. Um, sometimes it's a little difficult to see if you're seeing a darker skin patient, but look for that on trichoscopy. Yeah. And I've seen some very early cases of uh, CCCA where there's very mild to even no scarring at all, but you do see that perifollicular hyperpigmentation uh, centrally and the, the patient will eventually come in and uh, they'll eventually develop this scarring hair loss. So this is really just counseling. Uh, be empathetic. You know, uh, this is obviously very distressing for patients, any diagnosis of alopecia, but especially uh, patients of African descent, their hair is very, very sacred to them. Uh, and and any, any diagnosis or mention of alopecia or scarring alopecia, they really get upset. So you have to be empathetic, counsel them, be there for them and uh, let them know you'll, you'll see them through this and they're welcome back anytime to follow up. And that really makes them feel better when they know somebody is looking out for them. So Wow, I think we covered so much non-scarring hair loss, scarring hair loss, clinical pearls, board review, counseling tips. Uh, 
this is awesome. I feel so much uh, more comfortable going into clinic tomorrow when these hair loss patients come in and bring that brown bag on and be like, this, this is easy. Uh, I'm ready to go. So that was awesome, <laughs> Hannah. I appreciate that so much. But before we run out of time here, always ask a fun personal question. I know you do a lot of different things in dermatology and with social media and with your podcast and your, your YouTube channel, but what do you like to do for fun? What are some hobbies uh, that we can find you doing on the weekends? I love to stay active. So when I'm not sitting on the computer and I'm, when I'm not talking about dermatology, you can find me on the bike. You can find me scuba diving. I'm scuba certified. Um, and you can just, I just love being outdoors. So I love the sunshine and anything to get me outside by the beach, that's where you'll find me. Same here. I'm actually open water certified as well, but I got certified in college uh, in a very dirty lake in the middle of November, and we had to wear full wetsuits with six millimeters of neoprene, and at the bottom of the lake, I saw a, a boot and a rusty tire, and I just said, this is no fun. Uh, so I haven't scuba dived since then, but of course, I know there's many beautiful places in the world, tropical places. So perhaps when I go uh, to those places, I'll try again. But yeah, it was not a good experience for me when I first got certified many, many years ago. Well, maybe we'll have to go together. Uh, I would appreciate that. I think you'd be a great guy. That'd be a lot of fun. So thank you so much again. This is a great hair loss, help hair loss hotline episode. And thank God I have no AG yet, AGA yet. But when I do, I'll know who to call. And I know you helped me out. So, so really thanks for your, your time and your uh, all your advice. Anytime. It was a pleasure.